the Gospel of Luke and chapter 18. The Gospel of Luke and chapter 18. This evening we'll be reading verses 9 through 14. Let's give our attention now to the Word of God. Luke 18, beginning in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this parable that Jesus told. Simple statements, simple truths, simple experiences. Help us to take them and apply them to our own hearts and lives this night. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we come this evening to the second of two parables that Jesus gives his disciples distinctly for the purpose of helping them to understand and use prayer more effectively. More effectively to aid their own spiritual growth and grace. More effectively to to please and honor God himself and more effectively using those prayers for the building up of the kingdom of God. Now the whole tone of this entire section is set for us by Luke 18.1. So in the very beginning, it's spelled out for us in the most simple terms. He spoke this parable so that men might pray always and not lose heart. That's the purpose of these parables. Now, last week, we also looked at how Jesus encourages us in the parable of the persistent widow or the widow and the unjust judge, depending on however you want to to label it. But Jesus encourages us through that parable to go to God by drawing a contrast. This unjust judge would not hear for a long time. And finally, just because the woman kept coming and kept coming and kept coming, he finally gives up and says, okay, I'll give you what you asked. But he highlights a contrast and he says, that's not the way God is. 
God will hear and God will answer the prayers of his elect who cry to him day and night. So he encourages us to know who God is. That this is God, this is our Father in heaven. To know that he loves us, to know that he cares about us, every detail of our lives, and he will answer speedily our prayers when we pray according to his will. Now tonight, we turn our attention to this second parable. The parable frequently referred to as the Pharisee and the tax collector. This parable also is about prayer, but not just the duty of prayer or the dangers of prayer that we looked at last week. This is not just about you should pray always and you should not lose heart. What our Lord is doing here is calling us to think more deeply and more carefully about the kind of prayers that we pray. Are the prayers that we pray pleasing to God? Are they honoring to God? To to ask it perhaps in a little bit different way, but a very interesting question would be, what does God think of your prayers? I believe we see here, God doesn't think much of the prayers of the Pharisee. He does look with favor and love and compassion and grace upon the prayers of the tax collector. Why is that? So we're going to be looking at these things and asking ourselves, how do we pray so as to make a difference, a difference in our own life and in a difference in the lives of others. Well, the first thing that I want us to look at is that our prayers must be more than just words. I would imagine that pretty much everyone here tonight knows that there are a lot a lot of different religions in this world in which we live. Of those who claim to be religious, two-thirds, let that sink in, two-thirds of the people that claim to be religious are either Roman Catholic, Hindu, or followers of Islam. Two-thirds. Far lesser numbers are found in religions like Buddhism, evangelical Protestantism, and Judaism. Each of these religions, my friend, are very, very different. But there is one thing that they all share in common. And that is that prayer is a very significant part of every one of them. Prayer. Everyone seems to know the importance of prayer. But here's the problem. Not all prayers that are lifted up 
to God or someone else, not all prayers are pleasing or acceptable to God. Some people pray to things that are not God. I was reminded of Elijah on Mount Carmel. You remember what happens. Elijah comes up on Mount Carmel with 450 prophets of Baal. And he says, okay, you, you go first. You take your sacrifice and you call on the name of Baal. And then I will put my sacrifice up and I will call on the name of Jehovah. And whoever answers by fire, he is God. Many of you know what happens. 450 prophets of Baal put their sacrifice out and they begin to call on Baal and they called from morning until noon, probably six hours. And the word of God says, no voice was heard. There was no answer because they're calling on someone who is not God and cannot answer. And Elijah begins to mock them. And he says, well, maybe he's sleeping. You need to cry louder and wake him up. Maybe he's, he's busy. Maybe he's traveling and he doesn't have time to respond right now. So many people call upon someone who is not God. And that is not pleasing or acceptable to God. And it will not be prayers that are answered. Others call upon the God of the moon, the God of the sun, the God of the stars, the God of the ocean, the God of the wind. All these natural uh, thoughts and, and creation. And yet we, we have to realize that as we saw in, in Psalm 148 this morning, I believe it was, we speak to the sun. We speak to the moon, we speak to the stars, we don't pray to them because they are part of God's creation. We call upon them to join us in worshiping him, but we don't pray to them. Others call upon those men or dead saints, but they're not God and they cannot answer those prayers but even among those who pray to the living and true God children do you remember the catechism number five are there more gods than one there is but one only the living and true God but even among those who pray to the living and true God there are those that pray prayers that are not pleasing to God, that he will not answer. They pray for things that are contrary to his will. The Apostle John in 1 John five fourteen says, This is the confidence that we have, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, he will answer us. Brethren, the point of all of this is to say that not all prayer is pleasing to God. Just because you close your eyes 
just because you bow your head, just because you say some nice words directed towards God, does not mean that God will hear or that God will answer. But know this, God has not left us in the dark. He has not left us to figure this out on our own. He wants us to know. He wants us to pray prayers that are pleasing to him. Prayers for ourselves and prayers for others. And that's what this parable is about. How to pray prayers that please God, that honor God, and that God will answer. Now here Jesus tells us about two men. They are both very religious men. Both of them. They're very religious They're concerned about religious things. They both go up to the temple, to the holy place, to God's dwelling place. They enter into that temple, and they are both there for one purpose, and that is to pray to God, both of them. But God hears the prayer of one of them and will not hear the prayers of the other. Now, why is that? Our Savior's description of these two men reveals very clearly that prayer is not just words. It's not just saying the right things. Jesus shows very clearly that those words and the thoughts behind them reveal the condition of our heart. And that's what God is after. Prayers that come from the heart. Prayers that are rooted in and based upon a relationship with God as our Father and Jesus as our Redeemer. Look deeper, my friends. Don't just analyze the words you say. That's important. But that's not all there is to it. Look deeper. What do those words show about you? About your your attitude of yourself, your attitude of God, and most importantly, your relationship with God. Secondly, Our prayers should be a reflection of our hearts. Now, Jesus describes these two men in very telling terms, especially when it comes to the way they pray. These two individuals are very, very different from one another. One of them is a Pharisee, and the other one, is a tax collector, a sinner. That means that these two men are at total opposite ends of the social spectrum of the world in which they live. 
They move in very different circles. I don't think we would have any trouble saying that none of the friends of the Pharisee would have also been friends with a tax collector. These are two very different men. One is highly respected. The other is equally despised. He's regarded with utter contempt. One is well-trained in matters of religion. The other most likely knew very little about what the word of God had to say. When they enter the temple, one of them comes all the way up front and stands in front of everybody and prays. The other stays at the back of the church, at the back of the temple, where nobody can hear him and nobody sees him. They are different, but there are more things to consider than just these external differences. Listen, a lot of people in this room are very different from one another. We're at different places on social spectrum, financially, the job uh, market, in all kinds of ways, we are very, very different. But my friends, those differences do not change whether God hears our prayers or whether he does not hear them. That's not the most important thing. What sets these two men apart is their attitude and the condition of their heart. The Pharisee prays, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. All you people back there, I'm not like you, especially sinners, adulterers, drunkards, extortioners, and that tax collector at the back of the church. I am not like him. Not only that, but I do a lot of good things. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, my friends, it does not take a a PhD in astrophysics to understand that this man is very proud, that he's arrogant, that he's very self-centered. He might be in the right place at the right time when worship is going on. He might be doing all the right things, but my friends, he is doing them all for the wrong reasons. This man thinks very highly of himself. And he wants everybody else, and especially God, to realize how wonderful a person he is. That he is righteous and should therefore be pleased, that God should be pleased to have him worshiping him. What does the tax collector pray like? What do his prayers indicate about his heart? Well, he's very different. He does not go up front, but we're told that he stands far off. 
He's standing as far at the back as he can get without being outside. He is not at all like the Pharisee. He will not even lift his eyes up to look as it were to God. He bows his head in humility and conviction of sin. He even beats his breast. He is affected, ladies and gentlemen, young people. This man is physically affected by his sin. He's grieved. He's affected tremendously by it. He feels the weight of his sin and he cries out, God, be merciful to me. A Pharisee was a very proud man. The tax collector is a very humble man. He does not seek to draw attention to himself in any way, shape, or form. He is there for one purpose, and that is to seek God's favor and grace. And he prays, and he prays for mercy. He prays for kindness. He prays for forgiveness. He is doing so humbly. Now, there's a lot of scriptures that we could turn to that, that would underscore these. I just want to mention three, and you will know many of them. Proverbs six sixteen and 17. Six things the Lord hates, yea, seven, are an abomination to him. You know what's number one? Of the six, seven things that God counts as an abomination, pride. God hates pride. First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five. Listen to what Peter says in verse five and six. He says, all of you, Be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. On the one hand, God hates pride, but he loves humility. Be clothed with humility. Humility, put that on as you put on your garments every day because that's what God sees and God loves and God responds to. And then Psalm 51, we sang that version of Psalm 51 this evening, God be merciful to me, a sinner. David, as he comes to the end of that Psalm in verse 17 says this, the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. These you will not despise. My friends, think about those words. You come to worship God. What kind of sacrifice would you bring to him that he will be pleased with? The psalmist tells you beyond a shadow of a doubt, the sacrifices of God are a broken, and contrite heart. Do you desire to pray like God wants you to pray? 
do you desire to pray? To pray always and not become discouraged, not become weary in it. To pray in a way that pleases God, that catches his eyes, so to speak. That guarantees an open ear to your prayers and your petitions. And my friends, learn this pivotal, foundational principle that this parable tells us and shows us. Take hold of God by turning loose of yourself. Humble yourself. It's not about you. It's about God. As we heard from Joel Beakey, seek the glory of God in prayer. What pleases him? What honors him? What exalts Christ in our lives, in the lives of those around us, in the lives of this congregation? Seek to glorify God. Humble yourself. That God loves to see. Well, thirdly, Our prayers will reveal our relationship with God. Our words are important. Our attitude of heart is even more important. But the most important thing of all, especially as we read this parable, is to see our relationship with God. Because at the end of the day, my friends... If you don't have a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ, your words, however wonderful they may be, and even the condition of your heart, however contrite it might be, is going to matter very little without that relationship. And it's on this point that this tax collector shines most brightly. Two things that I want you to see. We sing and we have in our English translations in verse 13, God be merciful to me, a sinner. But actually, what the tax collector says is God be merciful to me, the sinner. Very emphatic. God be merciful to me, the sinner. It's almost as if he is saying, at this moment, I am not concerned about other men. I don't care what they've done or what they've not done or the good that they do or don't do. This is about me. This is about my sin. This is about my need of God's grace in my life. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. It may remind you of how the Apostle Paul comes at the end of his life and says that God has showed mercy to the chief of sinners himself. Can you imagine that? That the great Apostle Paul thought of himself as the chief of sinners. The tax collector felt that long before Paul did. 
God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Effectual prayer for forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, effectual prayer for forgiveness needs to get personal. God, be merciful to me. Don't worry about your brother or your sister across the aisle or up ahead of you or behind you. Make this about you. Prayer for forgiveness needs to be God be merciful to me for my sin. The Pharisee thought he was righteous according to verse 9. That's the reason Jesus spoke this particular parable to those who thought they were righteous. And he thought he was righteous because of his good works. He thought, well, because I fast and because I tithe and probably because I do this and that and the other, I am righteous in the sight of God. Well, I probably don't need to mention it, but Isaiah 64, 6 is pretty clear. All our righteousnesses, All of them combined are like filthy rags. Or as Paul says in Galatians 2.16, by the works of the law, no one living can be justified. That Pharisee thought he was righteous, but Jesus spells it out very clearly when he says he did not go home justified that day. Because we cannot be justified in the sight of God. We cannot be counted as righteous in the sight of God on the basis of our works. Because then the best of them are like filthy rags to God. The tax collector, however, did go home that day justified, counted righteous. Because of his faith in God, he saw himself as one who could not be saved by himself or earn salvation on the basis of his works. And he put his whole trust and hope in the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Secondly, I want us to think about this phrase, God be merciful to me. It's a very poignant expression, is it not? We like to sing it. We like to pray it. And it is a poignant expression, but it's not the best translation of our text. What this tax collector actually prays and what he actually says is God be propitiated. Now that's a big word. Propitiation is not a word that we have in common parlance in our day and age. But it is a very specific term. It is a very pregnant term. And it means specifically to turn away the wrath of God by means of of a sacrifice. It is the verbal form here 
of what John uses in 1 John 2, 2, when he says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he is the propitiation. It's not just an atoning sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that appeases God. It's a sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God because it's full and it's perfect and it's effectual. At securing the redemption and the salvation of God's children. He is the propitiation for our sin. It is Christ and he's his sacrifice that propitiates God. Here, the tax collector is not merely saying, I'm a terrible sinner. Please forgive me without making any reference to satisfying the justice of God. What this tax collector is praying is this. God, on the basis of the sacrifice you have appointed for the forgiveness of sin, have mercy upon me. Forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me completely. Not because of anything I do. Not because you're just a sweet guy and you'll do what's right. It's on the basis of the sacrifice that's been made. That propitiatory sacrifice that you can turn away your wrath and your justice can be perfectly met and I can be forgiven. Now, brothers and sisters, the only way we can pray for forgiveness. The only way we can look God in the eye and say, God, be merciful to me. God, be propitiated on my behalf. The only way we can pray that prayer is by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our place on Calvary's cross. Because of that, he is the propitiation. Because of our faith in Christ, because of our prayer to God for mercy, because of our relationship with Jesus as our redeemer, we can pray in a way that pleases God, that honors God, and a way that God will answer. Two parables that Jesus gives us in this portion of Luke 18. One to emphasize the need to pray always and not lose heart because we know what God is like and he will hear and he does care and he will answer. But then to pray, to pray humbly to pray sincerely with all of our heart, but to pray, brothers and sisters, on the basis of the propitiation of Jesus Christ in our place. And therefore, we can cry, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Let's pray together. Lord, what language.
can we borrow to thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love, for your mercy, for your sorrow and death upon the cross in our place that God might be propitiated and that we might know his grace and favor. We bless you. We praise you. We would honor you each and every day of our lives in each and every prayer we pray. We give thanks to you who have washed us in the blood of the Lamb. We bless you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a moment as we reflect and pray about the things we've heard.